Hi, this is Bob Murphy, and you're listening to the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the statist quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. I'm Doug Stewart, and today I am joined by one of the co-authors of Call to Freedom, Taylor Barkley. Taylor lives in Washington, D.C. with his wife, and he works at a public policy organization and part-time with Search Ministries. He graduated from Taylor University with a degree in history and political science. Thanks for joining us, Taylor. Glad to be here, man. I'm uh, happy to be on the show. Awesome. We're going to ask you to tell us a little bit about your personal background. How did you become a libertarian, unless you were always a libertarian? Um, we know you're here not as a representative of any organization you're for, you're part of. You're just here on your own behalf. Um, so tell us a little bit about uh, your libertarianism. Yeah, well, thanks, Doug. Yeah, I work full-time at the Competitive Enterprise Institute as the government affairs manager, but I'm here in my own personal capacity. This book project was done in my own time with uh, my friends who co-authors of the book. I grew up in Southern California, a uh, Christian home, two parents, great parents. Uh, I was a homeschooled K-12, to uh, took a class in my high school year uh, where we read Thomas Sowell's Basic Economics, um, which opened my mind to thinking things through and with an economic lens. Uh, it was pretty, you know, just run-of-the-mill conservative, uh, read Republican, liked what Bush was doing for the most part, didn't have a very critical eye towards what uh, Republican government was doing. Um, but reading Sowell's Basic Economics kind of it blew my mind in a way. It's probably the best way to describe it, especially reading about the minimum wage and how it actually did more harm than good. I, I was in high school, had a job and I think I was getting paid minimum wage or at least, you know, I was applying to other jobs that were paid minimum wage. So, you know, higher the better, I thought. Um, but then reading... It works so, well for you when you're at the bottom of the ladder, right? I, I, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, then you get priced out, right? If right, you, eventually, if your yeah. labor isn't worth the seven twenty-five or yes. whatever the, the minimum wage is. Yeah, right. Um, so, you know, just the principles like that, counterintuitive, it, it was really intriguing to me. And I remember actually looking up Thomas Sowell's Wikipedia page in his bio, and it talked about uh, Thomas Sowell, libertarian economist. And I just like, ah, darn it, like he's a libertarian and I'm a Christian. I don't think I can be both those things. So uh, went to college, uh, majored in history, then declared political science as a second major. Uh, I think the spring of my freshman year as kind of my practical degree. And I uh, was taking normal run-of-the-mill classes. I really enjoyed following political news, uh, having debates about public policy issues with uh, friends, uh, and as I describe in my book chapter, I heard a college professor say that Christians cannot be libertarians. It, you know, there are principles in libertarianism that go against what uh, being a Christian means, namely holding up selfishness as a virtue. You know, looking back in that conversation, I realized he was describing objectivism, the Ayn Rand uh, philosophy of life. Sounds like a lot of people have that. Mm, yeah. I, I, I think, yeah, I think that's a common misconception and, you know, what is it, you know, if you can be 
a libertarian and objectivist, but not all libertarians are objectivists. Yeah, right. Um, so I remember hearing that and then going home and sitting on the beach with a friend and she was saying how she and her family are libertarians and I was debating like, oh man, do I say something? Like, you can't really be both those things. So I just, you know, went through life and uh, I think it was summer of my senior year, went to Acton Institute's Acton University uh, with a friend who told me about it and was there exposed to robust theological and political and economic thought all meshed together with, uh, you know, people who had good ideas and were committed believers. Uh, and that was really intriguing to me. And then moved to DC for an extension program while I was in college, uh, with the American studies program and did some internships that got me connected with thinkers like Friedrich Hayek and Milton Friedman and, um, read those books and more Thomas Sowell, uh, coming back to him was fun and kind of just confirmed the inclinations I had that the less government we have, the better for society. Um, and I think over the years just came to terms with how does my Christian belief interact with my libertarian political philosophy. Um, and my chapter is specifically focused on uh, personal morality uh, question like how do we as Christians who have a specific morality laid out through scripture and uh, through God's word to us you know directly and through the Bible what do we do with other people behaving immorally and uh, should does the government have a role in enforcing these moral principles as laid out in the Bible because that's a common uh, objection and I think that was the objection I heard from that professor that uh, you know there are moral things, uh, that Christians adhere to, that libertarians do not. So clearly, you can't be both. Yeah, the I'm I'm surprised you said you met someone on the beach whose whole family was libertarian. I don't hear that often. That my family <laughs> right, is libertarian. Yeah. Um, True, because it is, it is very rare. Many people think it's incompatible, and I I think a lot of people probably have a similar journey to what yours is. Um, in that they they see something attractive in libertarianism. They see something that is still comfortable within either if they're leftists or more progressive or if they're conservative that sort of, you know, goes along with their conservative viewpoint. Um, if they're a conservative, it sounds like you grew up more conservative on that, on that end. Am I right? That's correct. Yeah. Yes, so, correct. you know, you, you find something that's, that's compatible with it. Um, otherwise Thomas Sowell would have turned you off rather than turned you on yeah. to the, these issues. Right. That's um, a good point. Yeah. So, you know, you find something compatible with it. So when you, do you have a lot of conversations with people who aren't libertarians, um, whether they're Christians or not? I mean, do you do you, in your work? Do you talk to people a lot about this? It's actually a couple of weekends ago. Uh, took a work-related trip with. It was mostly conservatives, you know, robust-thinking conservatives, uh, kind of the Russell Kirk uh, style, and got some pushback for being, you know, libertarian because. They have their, I think their viewpoints, it's very consistent in their mind and in their politics and public policy solutions that, you know, everything is interconnected kind of uh, virtues as agreed to from natural law and as girded by the Bible. Like if it's all part of this whole, and I talk about this in the chapter, you know, authors like Nancy Percy and Francis Schaeffer, who I think have done a lot of great work 
in helping Christians kind of view their personal faith and Christ um, is encompassing, you know, all of human life. It's not compartmentalized, like getting out of this compartmentalization, like church is on Sunday and my spiritual life is on Sunday and maybe one night of the week. It's every day and every night. And I completely agree with that. But I think it, and I was taught uh, with Francis Schaeffer and Nancy Percy material and kind of the school of thought in high school. Um, And I picked up from these teachings and I think some of these conservatives as I would view their perspectives um, that because certain moral truths are true uh, they need to be integrated with political action and into politics and the government has a role in enforcing them or at least encouraging them right um, I had a you know pretty robust discussion with a guy recently who was just he seemed appalled that I thought most drugs should be legalized um, because it's the government's role from his perspective to promote virtue. And the way to promote virtue is to ban the drug use. This is a Christian that said that? That's correct. Yes. And his, do you, do you know where he got his, the government should promote virtue uh, argument? I'm not sure exactly. Um, he is a very intelligent guy. I think highly of him. Um, but, you know, we didn't get into like underlying reasons, but yeah, that, that was something I'd encountered. And like, could I, you know, I even identified with that uh, a yeah. few years ago. Um, and it, I think there is an argument to be made. Um, and at my perspective, like I go into the chapter is the government is not good at a lot of things. Uh, you know, this economic principle of comparative advantage, uh, certain firms, individuals, like we do what we're good at. Um, and economics tells us, you know, those skills are rewarded when they're done well. And the government is good at f- using force to um, enforce things. And that's pretty much it. So, like, I don't go to Home Depot to buy my groceries. I go to Home Depot to pick up housing supplies. So, likewise, with government, I don't go to them to plan my family vacation or to be involved in enforcing virtue. Uh, I go to them to protect my life, liberty, and property. Uh, that's how I view. That's that's my perspective on the role of government. So, as I discuss in the chapter, letting the government be in charge of promoting a perception of moral behavior is like, even if it's like 100% correct, and I agree to totally. What is it going to be like 50 years from now? 100 years from now? 150 years? 300 years? when different people are in power, different moral principles culturally have shifted, uh, you know, I mean, the culture's moral principles have shifted into what's, you know, right or wrong is kind of the group believes. It's just setting ourselves up for abuse of power, for abuse of people who don't think the correct way. Um, so even if it's all 100% correct, I, I really don't want to give the government the power to do those things. And I don't think we should because it'll result in greater harm. And as Christians, we should be supporting, uh, principles that do the, you know, that uplift the poor that really do the most amount of justice with a capital J, this, uh, biblical principle of Shalom, maybe you've heard about. Um, so that's kind of all tied together. Um, really just want to set things up for, the best, the best chance of success possible, and a limited yeah. government, I think, is the way to do that. I agree, and 
obviously, I mean, we're here talking about libertarianism from a Christian perspective. Um, you know, I think a lot of people don't feel very comfortable if the government isn't doing something, you know, to enforce even just a minimalist version of whatever set of morals and ethics that they want to that they want yeah. to see enforced. Like most people probably most conservatives are probably not going to say that adultery should be illegal. Um, I, I rarely hear that argument made. Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, they they uh, up until recently in the last couple decades, you know, divorce uh, was supposedly supposed to be really hard. You know, that was mm -hmm. kind of the idea. It's like, well, we shouldn't make it easy for people to get divorced because you know, divorce is you know an abomination in the sight of the Lord, or um, you know, those kinds of things. But somehow the, the they want to enforce like a minimalist version of any of those things. You know, like how do we how do yeah. we get people to comply with our vision of society? Without making them comply with all of the, the 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 rules that we personally want to, so it's like this like diet version of their morals. We have to <laughs> yeah, yeah, we yeah. have to we have to we have to you know talk about enforcing you know morally. One of the one of the things that I also find fascinating about these conversations about the government, and I talked about this with Jason in a previous episode, Jason Huey, about the varying levels of government. In that, you know, we often talk about the government as the state, and we mm -hmm. often mean the federal government. You're in True. Washington, D.C. Your policy aims yeah. are very much aimed at the federal government rather than your local community, although I don't know how involved you are in your local community and uh, where you are in your city. I know you're going to move soon, but yeah. Um, yeah, to a different, get more different involved. Area. Yeah, <laughs> good. So um, is there do, – do you see that there's room to be um, – Less libertarian, if I could put it more provocatively, in you know the five thousand to twenty thousand person community that you live in, or whatever it might be. Like I live in an area that's you know tens of thousands of people, and mm -hmm. if they start to impose high taxes or uh, burdensome regulations, if it becomes too much, more fewer people are going to move into the area, right? And or or fewer or more people are going to move out, or yeah. something's something's going to change. But we can't do that if the federal government does it, or for my, that matter, my Pennsylvania state government. Correct. Yeah, and I, you know, it's kind of the principle of federalism, right? That I think America's founding one of the the better ideas that came from it. You know, it's, it's like Madison talked about the states as laboratories of democracy, like letting localized governments try different things. Um, so I, you know, you're question you know can you be less libertarian on a smaller scale like i think probably um you can st you know i would still fight for limited government in my local community um for uh limited regulation um at least from a government perspective it's you know this principle of regulation it exists everywhere but sometimes the government does it uh regulation through social norms and customs uh, moral principles, even right. Um, that's a really good point. That that's it's not necessarily it's not necessarily through threat of force. If it's far more, I mean, it is in one in, at the end of the day. But it's if it's in conformity with the social norms of the time, which is how laws historically have been formed. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Bottom up. Right. Like the government just kind of adopts what the social norms are of the day. I mean. It, right. Typically, that's not always true. I don't want to make that an absolute statement, but <laughs> you're saying that if a community, let's say my community in Pennsylvania, not the whole state, my 
community. I'm not telling everyone where I live right now. Uh, my community <laughs> in Pennsylvania, uh, if they want to adopt certain norms that work for us, then that's mm-hmm. that's not as much of a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I as much you. of being kind of the key word there. Yes, yes. That is a, that is a key phrase because, I mean, you <laughs> can think of America's Civil War was you – know, fought on you know principles some people said you know i don't want to get into the whole this whole discussion but certain local communities can do immoral things through the power of the local government um you know even if everyone agrees on them it still doesn't make them right so i think there is a role to as especially as christians to bring our belief in objective morality and a right and wrong to stand up and protect those who don't have much of a voice um and I think often fighting for limited government ends up serving though that population better than the alternative of making everything bigger and yeah. uh, more involved in our daily life. Yeah. So what are the what are the things that if you've had to I, I don't know have you had any success with uh, I wouldn't say converting Christians to libertarianism but if you have what are some of the arguments that tend to work for you the the probably issue related I'm guessing. Yeah, it's it's more like kind of like spot spot checks. Uh, you know, being in my early thirties, most of the people I talk to, you know, minds are pretty made up. I like to t- say, you know, being here in D.C., everyone moves here because we have our minds made up and how the world should work, and we're here to fight for certain principles. Um, and I put myself in that bucket. Uh, you know, I'm here uh, working full time at a nonprofit because I believe in uh, what this organization is doing and spend time in my own time uh, reading and writing on these things. Um, I think our book, you know, it kind of goes through the list of common objections that we heard. I haven't uh, had someone, you know, call me and say, oh, you know, after our talk last night, I'm now a full-fledged libertarian. I think it's been encouraging to some people to see that, oh, there are other people out there. And and that was one of the main uh, drivers for our book. Uh, Maybe Jason talked about how we, how it started as a panel at the International Students for Liberty conference back in, I think, 2013. And we expected mostly secular libertarians to show up. And instead, we got a room full of Christian libertarians who thought they were the only one out there or alone on their college campus. Uh, So having this book out there has I've had people come up to me and say, this has just been encouragement to know that you guys have thought to the same questions I have. And we've kind of, we broke it down in the chapters to answer some common things. Like Jackie kind of sets up the foundation. Uh, Jason gets at the, the biblical passages. I'm sure he did a great job talking about his chapter. And mine on personal morality is that common misconception that you have to be a libertine or, you know, have no personal morality or even endorse immoral behavior, uh, to be amoral, to be a libertarian. Um, so tackling that question and hopefully helping people look at it in a new way, if not convincing them that no, in fact, you do not have to be a libertine to be a libertarian. So I'm going to, I'm going to admit something here that I didn't know what a libertine was until probably three or four years ago. I had never really heard that before. And, you know, I don't know, but maybe if maybe there's other people out there, maybe I'm the only one that didn't know what that meant, you know. And I've been a self-declared libertarian for at least a decade now, 
And so half over half of that time, I didn't know what a libertine was. So tell tell our audience what what does that mean, um, and how does that differ a little bit from uh, just simply being a libertarian? So libertine applies to one's personal morality, and I believe it comes from a school of thought in the 1800s group of people who believed, you know, wanted to cast off all the moral strictures of culture and religion and say, we're just going to do what feels right. We're going to live the life, best life we see fit. So it's kind of like the word Luddite, you know, it refers to the word Luddite, someone who doesn't like new technology comes from Ned Ludd in, uh, in England and he and his followers broke up. I think it was the, like the cotton weaving machines because they were a threat to their jobs. So now Luddite means like different things. I think libertine, similar kind of etymology. Um, In the book, I take uh, Merriam-Webster's definition, uh, someone who basically doesn't believe in a moral framework and kind of lives life as best they see fit. Um, Also, in the context of kind of the cultural definition of like a moral relativist, uh, you know, what is right for you may not be right for me, but, you know, you do you and you're just as right as I am, even though we may believe different things. Like, I may not believe it's right to have premarital sex, but you do. And we're both right. But even though those are like opposing, <laughs> opposing statements. So it's very hands off. Very hands off and only applies to, you know, personal morality. Um, so it's easy to see how people could confuse that with libertarianism. Right, because they sound very... They sound very similar, similar enough, right? Exactly, exactly. And in my chapter, uh, you know, this chapter could have been three sentences long because I basically say, <laughs> just define the terms. Like libertarianism is a political philosophy, libertinism is a personal morality, uh, and they're not the same thing, and uh, so therefore Christians can be libertarians. Uh, you know, it could have been done then, but I think... It, it could almost have tweeted it. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, I gave myself so much more work. But I wanted to dive into kind of the underlying question, then what is our the intersection of our personal morality as Christians with our political philosophy? Um, so that's what I, you know, I scratched the surface on this question in my chapter. Um, it was really fun to write, um, engaging with economic principles, philosophical principles, theological, and everything kind of overlapping in a Venn diagram in the middle. Um, so I, I learned how much I don't know, <laughs> frankly, from writing it. Um, and it's, I hope it kind of stirs more, it stirs further questioning and gives some guidance to um, people as they're thinking through this big question of like, when I say personal moral issues, I mean those things that don't really affect other people as much. Like, obviously, I'm not talking about murder. That's a moral issue, but involves harming another person. Right. Um, I'm thinking things like, you know, we often talk about keep the government out of our bedroom, those kind of things. Like, what I do in my bedroom is my own thing. Um, it's more of those issues. And I use the example of uh, premarital sex as just, you know, a thought experiment. Um you know, libertine would say having premarital sex is the way to be fully human. And the sexual revolution um, stuff in the 60s, I was reading some of those thinkers and what they were saying, and it was 
you know, if you're not having as much sex as possible, you're not being a real full human. And that's very different than what uh, I think scripture and Christian tradition teach. Um, so taking that moral, personal moral question and then applying it to my political philosophy, what is my political philosophy have to say about premarital sex? And, you know, I, I walk through a couple different options. I like to think through these uh, moral theological questions, kind of a choose your adventure. Like, because we can, you know, kind of pick different things to do. Like with premarital sex, I can advocate that the state get involved and make it illegal. I can take matters into my own hands and force people to stop. I, think I talk about that being a celibacy Batman of sorts, you know, fighting immoral behavior at night. And, you know, the other thing I could, you know, talk against it online with, through the news, news articles, uh, you know, create a following of sorts. Um, and so, like, looking at each, each of those options, what would they do? Or, you know, I could, or I could just say this is not my, it's not my role to correct other people's behavior um, in this regard. Um, and, you know, the government being involved in preventing premarital sex would be, like, what would it take to do that, you know? a near constant surveillance state of being involved yeah. in people's lives, like cameras and bedrooms, like <laughs> giving the government power to accuse and take to court people right. who infringe on this uh, moral principle. Um, that just seems a worse outcome than right. people doing what I think and Christian tradition and scripture say is wrong. I, and I, you know, I dive in, I think there is a way to approach these these questions, though, that I discuss in my chapter, I think the Bible lays that out pretty clearly. You know, one being, the first principle being, we shouldn't expect people who are not Christians to behave the same way that we do. Um, I think no matter your belief set, that's probably a, a correct principle. Um, people think differently and behave differently based on those beliefs. Um, the second is Jesus does lay out a way to correct immoral behavior in the context of people who are following him in the church, in a community. And it's a multi-step process starting with, you know, one-on-one -on -one conversation. And like all of this is supposed to be laced with grace and love and not um, bludgeoning or calling people out in public. Um, it's, you know, to go to your friend and tell them what they've done wrong and talk with them about it. And then if they don't listen or repent, then take another, bring a friend with you. So it's kind of like a two- two-on-one discussion and then like kind of expand it a bit and then you reach a certain point where action is taken so you know we in the christian church can just so easily forget those things and especially that you know we're in the christian church because we believe we're sinners and we need god's help to stay in relationship with him that's then that brings an attitude of humility um, so I, I, I want to tie all those Christian teachings and principles into this discussion of personal morality and political thought, political philosophy, political action, because I think it'll, for me at least, it's very, it's, it's tempered my willingness to get the state, the government involved in issues of personal morality, just because it's, it's, it's an ineffective tool, I think. Yeah, I, I like how you talk about the humility because I think that's probably my biggest reason for being a libertarian is that I I think I know how the world ought to run and yeah. you know maybe I should be doing your job in DC and making sure everybody runs the yeah. way, runs the way I do. Uh, but then I realize, wait a second, I don't have it all figured out, and so 
Um, you know, I, I shouldn't be telling someone else how to live just because my morality tells me that that that's what God expects. Um, you know, and using the state to get someone to, to do that is, is problematic, let alone like incredibly complex in your thought experiment on uh, premarital sex. Like how would you enforce that? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like there's just so yeah. much to do. It reminds me of there's a I don't know if you ever saw the the show The West Wing, but uh, one of the guys in there he says, you know, you conservatives want the government so small it can fit in our bedrooms. <laughs> <laughs> I was I, I, one of the few lines in that show. I love the show that that uh, always stuck with me. I'm like, wow, that's that's very clever. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So to be a libertarian, I guess you could be a libertine. I mean, I'm guessing libertines yep. are probably libertarians. Um, or a lot of them are. There's a lot of overlap, yeah. overlap to some extent. Um, totally. There's probably a lot of libertarians who take a broader outlook on how society should be enforced to run, maybe more cosmopolitan or, mm-hmm. um, you know. So what? So this this sort of gets into the thick versus thin argument because yeah. how, what does it totally. mean to be a libertarian? Is, is it just like, you know, like as a Christian, we kind of have the whole creeds as a baseline for orthodoxy, which has its own problems, but that's a pretty good starting point when talking to right. somebody to find out, you know, are you an orthodox Christian um, right. versus, you know, you know, something else, or are you a Protestant, or are you a Catholic, those kinds of things. You kind of gauge where someone is based on that. And, you know, we're always obsessed with whether or not someone's a Christian or whether or not someone's a libertarian or whether or not they're on my side <laughs> of yep. whatever it is that we think is the correct opinion. But yep. those problems aside, the thick versus thin argument in libertarianism in the past five to ten years has become kind of intriguing to me. And maybe maybe some of us out there uh, have a don't quite understand what is the thick versus thin libertarian debate. Can you give us a little bit of yeah. a little bit of that, um, and we'll talk about it? Yeah, totally. Um, I think to your first point, you know that libertines can be libertarians, but you don't have to be a libertine to be a libertarian. I think that's the great thing about libertarianism. It lets freewheeling libertines and fundamentalist Christians live together in the same community because the political structure is libertarian. It's a limited government. So it's not one imposing its vision of good moral behavior or immoral behavior on the other. So it lets these very different groups of people be in the same community and allow relationships to develop. And the, yeah, the thick, thick and thin libertarianism debate, like it's, it's very kind of, uh, what in the community, you know, you, I think you talk to someone on the street, even libertarians, like some, some libertarians have never heard of it. I had a former colleague and, you know, he's worked at a number of, uh, free market libertarian conservative organizations in DC. And he read my book chapter and it's like, I had never heard of this thick and thin libertarianism discussion before. There's a good uh, piece on reason.com. Uh, uh, I'm sure if you just go to reason.com and search for thick and thin libertarianism, there's a good collection of essays on what exactly this means and the implications uh, for each set of beliefs. But kind of the short definition, you know, a, a thick libertarian, a libertarian would believe that political philosophy should extend into personal morality. So essentially being a, a libertine or someone close to it. So um, and includes, you know, speaking out against those who would say you should not do a certain behavior because saying you should not do a certain behavior, imposing some normative moral judgment on them is a violation of the non-aggression principle. That mere act of saying, hey, Doug, you shouldn't do that thing 
that's only affecting you because I think it's bad for you, that's infringing on your your rights to your body, your Just mind. the mere act of telling me that? I believe that's how it's, it's one of the components of th- thick okay. libertarians. Yeah. So, and it's, you know, it's this debate that we're having as a culture right now, our words force, you know, saying certain things, uh, does that, is that equivalent to me punching you in the face? And that, you know, this is a bigger discussion than we can have right now, but that's a component of thick libertarianism. It's this, uh, you know, I'm going to apply libertarian principles of the government staying out of, you know, not infringing the non-aggression principle, the NAP, but also I'm not going to infringe on the NAP through personal action and personal words. And the thin libertarianism, libertarian, libertarianism would uh, be more along the lines of what I hold, uh, something I discussed, you know, in the chapter, um, it's a political, libertarianism is a political philosophy. It doesn't interact with my personal moral beliefs. Um, and it's just a vision of how the government should work. So, you know, I can still say to my friend, you know, you shouldn't do such and such behavior because I think that's wrong. That is not inconsistent. That is not being inconsistent with my libertarian beliefs, according to thin libertarianism. Okay, so you're saying that if you are a th- what is just a thin libertarian, you mm-hmm. are not tacking on a lot of moral judgments because that would be in violation of the non-aggression principle, or or could be. Uh, if you're a thin libertarian, you can still have those moral judgments, but that is not violating your libertarianism. But a thick libertarian would say your moral judgments are violating. Because to say that because to say that to other people means that you're you're not really libertarian because that requires more than just the the baseline acceptance of non-aggression. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like okay. It's kind of this uh, moral relativism general, I'm, you know, generalizing here of saying, you know, if, if everyone's right doing their own thing, as long as I'm not harming anyone else, um, you telling me not to do that thing is, it's harmful to me because, you know, okay, yeah, this is how I perceive it. You know, yeah. I don't like, I don't like to be corrected. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Me neither. Um, you know, who does? So. There's a component of that, but then also, you know, the second component, component of like, it's you imposing your will upon mine, and that is an act of aggression, violating the NAP, therefore violating one of the core tenets of what it means to be a libertarian. So that's kind of the thick, yeah, thick libertarianism. You know, I, I think of it as like thick being it runs through like all of life, and I have to apply libertarian adherence to the non-aggression principle um, everywhere, basically. And thin would be very specific to the political realm and not not as much in the personal. So, you know, I can still, as a, I say in the chapter, like you can be, I think Christians can be thin libertarians. I don't think they can be thick libertarians. I, you know, if anyone disagrees with that, let me know. Um, I'd be interested to hear the argument. Um, because thin libertarianism is just adherence to a political ideology and not... Uh, you know, this kind of thick, robust, like it affects every part of life and I need to apply the right, non-aggression right. principle to my speech and my action. Yeah, I think that's the the understanding that I have. And, and to me, the 
the implications of being a thick libertarian isn't a matter of like what you endorse, but that you endorse something more than just the non-aggression principle. Like it's part of an identity. Like if yeah. you are a libertarian, therefore you, of course, you know, reject the non or reject there. Of course you, you accept the non-aggression principle. Yeah. And then also because of the non-aggression principle, you have, um, you have other certain commitments. I want to quote somebody, and, and I don't know if you've read any of Charles Johnson. Uh, he, uh, I believe, either writes for or is quoted a lot on bleeding heart libertarians. And I'm mm. reading mm-hmm. an article by Matt Zwolinski uh, on, on bleeding heart libertarians. And mm-hmm. so he's quoting Charles Johnson. Libertarians have many different ideas about the theoretical foundations for the non-aggression principle. That is to say about the best reasons for being a libertarian. But whatever general foundational beliefs a given libertarian has, those beliefs may have some logical implications other than libertarianism alone. I had never heard Hmm. a defense of what would be considered thick libertarianism in such a way, because Hmm. I've always been under the impression that libertarianism as a political philosophy that says here's who and here's when force is proper to be used and by whom and in what capacity and so forth um, mm-hmm. doesn't have large ramifications. It has large ramifications for the state, has large ramifications for right. what we do uh, am- among each other. But does are there you know what what about the second and third you know r- ripple effects, if you will, to switch analogies, um, you know about that. Um, what do, what do you think? Does it does it mean like if we're libertarian that we are probably going to parent a little different? Are we probably going to be approach other things in life a little differently, or or do those are those not required? That's a good good question. Yeah, I mean, I'll just unpack this a bit. Um, my conception, you know, it, w- directly, I don't think it would have much implications for how I raise my kids in the home. I'm still gonna. I, you know, I don't have children now. My wife and I do not have children. You can be the dictator um, in your home, I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I guess if that's what you're saying, then yes. Uh, that was more of a joke, that last bit. But okay. <laughs> just well, a little, I, little parenting advice. You can't be. <laughs> and don't <okay>. try. <laughs> <laughs> or else you have like uh, colonial rebellions, regional rebellions. <laughs> yes, People that's throw right. People tea into the ocean. Yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. Because there's, there's a lot. Like going, who is it? Steve Horowitz wrote a lot. He's a libertarian thinker writes a lot about uh, uh, the family. Um, I, I view the principles that I will use in raising my family will be inspired from scripture, Christian tradition, and my family and friends who are have done it before and are doing it alongside me. Um, I don't anticipate reading Milton Friedman. Uh, when I want parenting advice, um, I think certain libertarian principles of, uh, you know, like public choice theory, everyone has, uh, personal motivations and is self-interested and that'll affect political structures. The political structure of the family, like just being aware that, uh, you know, giving children or parents certain powers can lead to negative consequences. Uh, I, I don't know if that kind of gets what you're you're saying or answers the question. Well, I mean, you're, you sound like your response is basically you you don't need libertarianism to inform how you're going to parent or other types of morality. Yeah, 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 yeah. I would say that. Yeah, you know, it's possible, and and I've seen this happen where I read um, people who 
kind of either come upon libertarianism. These are these are non-Christians that come upon libertarianism where they're starting to articulate a, a sort of free market advocacy. And then as I read more of their work, I started to realize they're an objectivist, which, mm. is, which is a philosophy of Ayn Rand. And right. I, I often wonder that because libertarianism, to be a libertarian, I, I – probably would consider myself a thin libertarian in that to in order to identify as one you don't have to hold a hand a baggage of goods right. um, that that you have to espouse and encourage other people to espouse however it does seem like there is a space to be filled that does inform uh, our morality I mean you remember the the mm. Al, Al Moeller and Norman Horn on uh, that yeah, radio yeah. show like he totally. had he somehow Thought the libertarianism ought to bear the weight of inc- of being an all inclusive philosophy, and because yep. it isn't, people who aren't yep. going to people who want to, and because it isn't, people have the tendency to infuse moral thinking based on their libertarianism, or in yep. the case of an objectivist, their their views on markets and and the individual and so forth are you know are glorified for for philosophical reasons. Yeah, oh, I, and that's that was one of the conversations I had recently. Was that same kind of rejoinder? Like libertarianism is a full-fledged philosophy that will affect everything in your life. So that's why I'm not a libertarian, and I think you're wrong. Is basically the the rejoinder. And you know, I don't know how to have those discussions really, other than like, well, let's maybe we're just talking about different things. Right. Yeah. Getting back to like, well, what do you mean? That doesn't even make sense. To me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know. And I think that was another inspiration for my book chapter is let's parse out these terms. Let's talk about what we mean. And I put forward what I mean and I might, you know, we're getting to like linguistic theory and, you know, how do words have definitions and meaning and all this stuff, which is uh, more than I can chew off right now. But um, it's important when, you know, we as libertarians and if you're conservative, you know, you're having a conversation with a libertarian, just talk about like, what do you mean when you say libertarian? What do you mean when you say you're conservative? Um, just so we're not talking past each other. And that's debating. good advice in general. What do you mean when you say that's, those are excellent, yeah. excellent ways to have a conversation. I think so. I think so. Um, yeah. If it's on any controversial topic, um, cause then, then we can talk about, you know, what something on the table instead of what we think might be on the table or, you know, hidden motives or whatever the case may be. You wrote the chapter in call to freedom. Do you write or blog, uh, or do you just basically write policy, policy stuff? I do have a website which will shortly be launched. Okay. Uh, Taylor D Barkley.com. Okay. And do some writing on, Technology issues, uh, the intersection of theology and technology is a personal interest of mine. Um, I've blogged on the Institute for Faith, Work, and Economics blog. I did that a few years ago, the intersection of theology, vocation, and economics. And, you know, do random podcasts here and there. Uh, Spoke at South by Southwest a couple years ago on the singularity and the question of God Oh, wow. Well, we should have you back on to talk about that. That's awesome. I would love to. It's a fun <laughs> topic. What is, you know, is God just a giant AI or, or what are what happens when robots become sentient? What does it mean to be human? You know, these simple questions. Yeah, that's awesome. It's it's fun to fun to talk about. Some people kind of poo-poo it as, you know, 
silly, pointless discussion, but I have. Fun I don't. It. I don't think it is. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's Those good. are good. So yeah, TaylorDBarkley.com coming to you soon. Uh, my wife Rachel was a huge help in getting that started. So hopefully we'll have it live soon. Well, Taylor, thank you for joining us uh, today. Thanks, Doug. This is yeah. fun. Yeah. So that's another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us and ask a question or submit some feedback, you can reach us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com, our website, libertarianchristians.com. You can find us on Facebook, and of course you can find us on Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. The audio engineers were Doug Stewart and Jason Rink, and voiceovers were by Matthew Bellis and Caitlin Horn. If you'd like to find out more about the LCI, please visit us on the web at www.libertarianchristians.com.